from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cryhavoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Jen Reigert, I'm a writer. And Kit Lavoy, I am a writer and a director. Uh, today we're going to be talking about setting goals for rehearsals, uh, primarily actor goals for rehearsals. Um, it's something that uh, I think it's fair to say that we in the company uh, generally hold as being a very important part uh, of our collective process. Um, and it's something that I think is, is, is not necessarily a part of a lot of people's process. And so uh, we want to talk a bit about why it's important to us and why we think it's useful uh, in terms of uh, building a character and building a role uh, over the, the course of a rehearsal process. So let's start uh, uh, and talk a little bit about why is it important to set specific goals for yourself as an actor in rehearsal. When when you're working on a role in, in, in a play, there are so many balls you're going to have to have in the air at one time uh, for a character, for a, a, a particular play, uh, for the vision you have for why you're telling that particular story, um, that having uh, clarity um, for how to achieve what your specific objectives are for that character, for that play, for that story... Um, is extremely important in, in building something that will be satisfying for you as the actor, and that will be satisfying for an audience to to uh, to, to view. Um, without being too cute, you know, art that has a point of view and that has a purpose is just more interesting to watch than than art that doesn't. And let me put it this way: whether you think actors are are artists or craftsmen, uh, there is a process to being an actor, and I, I, I think that's a responsibility that actors should take uh, uh, seriously and and um, uh, d- dive into. And there's, uh, I, I don't want to be an actor for myself who just shows up and just is told what to do by a director or by you know the the, the script where they're you know which are directions from a previous stage manager. Um, I want to find my own vision for this character. I want to find my own artistic voice in this character and contribute to to the ensemble that will add up to a production. And for me, goal setting is uh, the most obvious way to to begin that process of of trying to understand what in this play do I understand and want to, to pursue. What in this play or in this character do I not understand? Do I need to go find this? Uh, for... Um, me, one of the most important things about goal setting is understanding what work I really need to do to make this play and this character happen. And without setting those goals, I don't see how any of those things ever happen. I don't see how I am ever able to do anything except rely on whatever talent I have to sort of ballpark my way through through a, 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 a performance. Yeah, I am uh, primarily a writer, but in our workshop group we do a lot of acting work and you can tell when people have set goals for themselves it's just the work becomes 
is much it is much more interesting to watch somebody who's who's trying to do something specific even if it may not be exactly quote unquote right for the play I would say but I I find it when I do try to work on a scene I find it hard to um, identify those goals for myself so you know just you know, I, I just don't have a lot of experience at it so I I know that it's it makes a big difference for for the product so to speak but I I don't have as big a good a grasp as I would like on how what's what are good things to do you know well why don't we talk a bit about um, and we'll loop back around I'm sure in several ways to why it's important to set goals mm-hmm. so let's talk a bit about uh, examples of goals just to sort of define our terms if nothing else um, we actually have here both uh, Tim and Jenny have played uh, Romeo actually both of you I believe have played Romeo multiple times um, that's true yeah. in the same production <laughs> I'm kidding that's, that's not, not true, true. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so, why don't we, for the sake of argument, take the balcony scene in Romeo and Juliet. If you are rehearsing the balcony scene in Romeo and Juliet, what sort of goals um, might you set for yourself uh, in working on that in order to make a productive process? I feel like the most important thing for me with the balcony scene was really figuring out the danger in that moment. Um, having just come from the party, being in an enemy, you know, on enemy territory, um, and really figuring out and getting my mind around the the danger of the situation, and in talking to Juliet at all, and in being seen um, and whatnot. And so, I remember I spent um, many rehearsals just trying to to figure out um, and basing objectives on on that. Yeah, but what Do kind of what kind of like like say one rehearsal one day y- you come in. So what what are you going to work on today about danger? Um, like I I would set for myself that uh, there I know where the guards are there. Like I I could place them mm-hmm. um, right outside where our playing space. And I needed to do the scene. I needed to get done what I needed to get done without having them hear me or see me. Okay. For for me with. With that scene in specific and in general, what I usually try to break down my, my goals for a particular rehearsal are, are into uh, actor goals and then character goals. Um, actor goals are basically things that uh, I identify, things that I should address that will help me play that character. Uh, every actor uh, uh, has particular habits that they have that they should know that they may struggle with perhaps their entire artistic career and so uh, I will set goals in rehearsal as the actor where these are issues I want to address particularly in the balcony scene where parts of it are very intimate I know when uh, as an actor when I'm not trusting myself or when I'm intimate in general uh, in in a scene with another actor I tend to uh, come off my voice so I may set a very technical rehearsal as the actor where I'm just simply going to stay on my voice the entire rehearsal and by um, staying in your voice, you mean... Uh, actually, people who are not actors actually might not know what you mean by that. Um, <clears throat> I, I can only describe it in, in, like, in an actual visceral sense. Like, right, right now I'm, I'm speaking on my voice. Right now I'm not speaking on my voice. And I... I <laughs> that may be a horrible example, but that's, that's the only way I can, I, I can describe uh, 
Well, that, that pretty much does. Okay. <laughs> um, so you know, or and, and that can apply to other scenes, you know, as as well. Um, and, and we can get into all that. Uh, but it, it's good as an actor to know what your particular habits, uh, uh, tricks are, what your pitfalls are, um, where you tend to go if you're not completely sure about where a moment is, so that you can sort of set up roadblocks for yourself and identify those, particularly so that you can wind up serving the character. Um, as best as possible and not just relying on your own uh, sort of habitual tendencies. So uh, the other thing, uh, the other aspect that uh, is important then is setting up what I call our character goals, which are things the character is actually dealing with. And what I'll usually do when I get a script is I will write out all of the given circumstances that that character is dealing with. Everything from time period to where I am, what's going on, what my relationship is to these people, every fact that I have. Um, and often in, in every scene, and in particular in the balcony scene, as Jenny said, where you're dealing with Juliet and the danger and the previous you know moment of the party and all these things, there's a lot of balls you have to juggle in the air. It can get overwhelming, and I think this is very difficult sometimes why actors have a difficult time setting goals for themselves, is because if you get a really good play, particularly Romeo and Juliet, and you get a really good scene like the balcony scene, there's so many things going on, which is what makes it great. It's sort of overwhelming of where do I start? And what's best for me is to go through those list of given circumstances and just start dealing with them one at a time. Mm -hmm. One specific rehearsal, I will deal with just the party and what the party was like and how it's affecting me You know, now that I'm, I'm not at the party. The place we're in, is it outdoors, is it indoors? Uh, you know, the balcony, it's, it's nighttime. Uh, you know, is it hot out? Is it cold out? How well can you see? How well can I see her? Uh, the guards, where are they? Can I hear them? Can I see them? Am I trying to make sure they don't see me? Uh, how do I communicate with Juliet? What's my relationship with Juliet? All of these are given circumstances that I may initially just in each rehearsal play in a, and fully investigate one at a time and then slowly start layering them on top of each other and seeing how you know, using one goal that I've set in a previous rehearsal and found something and another rehearsal where I had another goal and found something. What happens when I combine those? That's how you sort of build. But you can't really ever build them if you sort of deal with them all at one time. You have to parse them out. You really do. I, in my opinion, you really do. And I think the reason why actors have a tendency to not set goals is because to deal with just the previous party or to deal with just where the guards are or what the nighttime sounds like when you're dealing with the balcony scene seems like, well, but there's so much more going on. But I feel like you can only get to do the whole full scene if you've investigated each mm -hmm. aspect of it as specifically and as fully as you can. Because otherwise what happens is you end up sort of investigating everything to a half measure. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I am of the bias that the thing that is going to make a scene or a moment click for an actor is almost never, really literally almost never the thing that they think it is going to be. Yeah. And the most interesting thing to watch people do on stage is surprise themselves and for a character to surprise themselves and for a moment to be about something that is unexpected. And that actually is a lot of what... I sort of my issue with a lot of traditional uh, script analysis is is it sends people home to sit down, look at the script, and decide for themselves 
what is this moment going to be about before they really have a chance to investigate it. Um, and what that what that does is it creates a series of choices that makes the scene make sense with air quotes around it uh, to an actor rather than the things that make it most immediate and most surprising. And if you give the balcony scene over to being aware of where the guards are, you never know what line you are going to discover since you've given a full run of it over to being aware of the guards what line has this amazing magic to it when it is about being aware of the fact that you're about to get caught? And then you can pick the moments where, when you are eventually doing the play, and as Tim said, you're layering it together, that you can make the choice that that moment makes an extraordinary amount of sense to me if what I am saying to Juliet is someone is right around the corner from us. And so that's what I will be doing on that line because it makes that moment shocking and special and inspiring to me in a different way than simply making sense to me, which is what happens a lot when people sit at home with their script and decide in advance what every moment is going to be about. Um, it, it allows you in rehearsal to be surprised by the choice that moves you. And not for nothing, I actually think it's a hard thing to do to do right to give yourself completely over to one goal one objective for the entire for the entire scene because frankly 80 80% of it is not going to be right is not going to be what's going to end up being being in that scene but it's that it's the without giving yourself over to it you're not going to be able to find that little nugget of whatever that's going to inform inform the scene when you're doing it so are there are there any goals that are not about previous circumstances or is it just about you know, each time through layering a different element of circumstances or, you know? Well, I think a lot of it, I, I am of the bias that almost everything is about circumstances in a play, although that's not totally true. But I think a lot of what it is, is, again, there are different layers of goals that you can have. You can have a goal for an entire rehearsal process. You can have a goal for a series of rehearsals. You can have a goal for a single rehearsal, a goal for a single run. And a lot of times there's sub-goals where it's, I'm, you know, trying to investigate my relationship with this specific character today. That's what I'm giving today's rehearsal over to. So this run, I'm going to imagine this particular thing in our history and try to remind her of it throughout the run, for so, instance. So, but the second part of that was an action. The second part was an action, although I think you could also call it, it is my goal for that run. Well, that's what I'm saying, is your goal is, is an action. Your goal can be an action, yes. Right. You absolutely, you could say uh, that you're experimenting with a specific objective, you can experiment with a specific obstacle. You can experiment. Um, and again, that idea of like, giving over a time to exploring the space, exploring the heat. And actually, I, I remember I, I worked a, a, a couple years ago on the, uh, the Broadway production of 110 in the Shade. And it's, well, it's a musical, takes place during a heat wave where it hasn't been raining. And one of the things that we did was we took the entire cast to a Bikram yoga studio where it's 110 degrees, and had them run the first act. And that's all they did. They just said, do it and do it in this heat. 
and the extraordinary things that we discovered, not just about realistically what it's about to be in this heat and be moving around, but also the things that people discovered about how important it must be to go and talk to this person about it. If I actually have walked all the way across town in this oppressive heat, and it really, you know, it made it so no moment was about stopping by and saying something. Mm-hmm. And But those things wouldn't have been discovered. And I, I just thought that was a great example of just really giving over an hour and a half of time to really dealing with the heat, which is in the title of the play. But it was it was something that never again, for the even though, like somebody said, it might seem like a little thing to give over a whole rehearsal to, to give over a whole hour and a half to just working on that, no one ever had to talk about heat after that because everyone had given themselves over to really exploring what that meant for an hour and a half and they were able to use it for the entire rest of the process. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask about other examples of other kinds of action goals. In my experience on working with scenes, a lot of my goals have had to do with actions like get somebody to leave a room or um, to... Are action goals more objectives? Yeah, like I yeah. think I, I would say action goals are objectives. Okay, and other and when you're dealing with circumstances, it's a goal. Yeah. Well, I, I no. well, we may just get into phraseology, here, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, which may be semantic, but it may be it may be important to help clarify these things. I think it's important for actors to clarify their terminology for themselves, so that when they're dealing with actors, other actors are dealing with directors. They they they're on the same page. Uh, for me. An objective is what ultimately my character wants. You know, what is the result that my character needs? Um, actions are the, literally the actions I will take in order to ensure that that, in order to execute what that objective is. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of that, you then have what I call activities, which are things that I am literally doing. Um, uh, if I'm trying to, for your example, Jen, if you are trying to get someone to leave a room because they w- you want them out of your life, let's just be as literal as possible. And in the meantime, it's after a dinner and you're clearing the table. Well, your objective is to get this person out of your life. The actions would be whatever you would attempt to do to get them to leave the room. And your activity would be you are clearing the table and possibly you know doing the dishes or whatever while you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if, if you're clear on what those three things are and how to, to set that up for yourself, um, you become really clear, clear on all of the sort of weaponry you have to accomplish yeah. what okay. you want for that day. And I would say that for the sake of at least how I think of the idea of setting a goal, any one of those things could be a goal. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, that a goal okay. is really the idea of this is the thing that I am giving myself over to exploring in this rehearsal, right. in this run, in this whatever. So you certainly could. I, I mean, one of the things that I think is really a very useful thing to do is to say, I am going to give this rehearsal over to exploring my relationship with character A. And especially if you're in a scene with multiple characters. But you're going to say, today I'm really exploring what being in this room with Tim is. Mm -hmm. And so it might mean that I one run what I set for my goals. I'm going to try to get him to 
ally with me, and that's what I'm going to work on this time. And then the next run, I'm going to see what happens if actually I try to get everyone to gang up on him. Uh, and I'm going to do that. And the next run, I'm going to do some work on a, a particular piece of character history that we have and try to remind him and use this piece of information against him, even if that information is never mentioned in the scene, or use it to get him to do what I want. Um, or just to focus on, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing something with him tomorrow. And I give a run over to, you know, trying to set up tomorrow, you know, this thing we're supposed to do tomorrow. But all of those things are goals for individual runs aimed at the overall goal is mm -hmm. today I am going to really explore my relationship with Tim. But the interesting thing, though, is that that may sound like, well, what are you doing? Because that's disruptive to the scene, because... It, it, the scene isn't just about your relationship with Tim. It isn't even in the scene. Tim, well, <laughs> I'm just that, well, no, but sometimes, actually, that can be really useful. If you're doing a scene, you know, I mean, you certainly can be doing uh, the Hamlet and Ophelia and, uh, you know, and be focusing on Gertrude and being, you know, trying to get Ophelia to bring a message back to Gertrude and explore your, your relationship that way. I mean, mm -hmm. you can do that sort of a thing. But it's. I think. I, th no, I think. I think what 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 you. I think you're getting at mm -hmm. is this idea that you have to have the flexibility to pursue these goals to their ends, with the understanding that their purpose, overall purpose, is to serve the play, and yet while you're pursuing these goals, you may throw away. The, the entire rest of the play. I, I know I've had rehearsals where things have I've pursued goals to the ends of the earth, as have the other actors I'm with, and people have said, well, well, that's not the play. And my response to that is always, I think we found an aspect of the play in that. I think we found a kernel. I'll agree with you. We did not use 90% of the text, or there's so much, many other things that are going on in this play that we did not address in this rehearsal. But I will address them in future rehearsals with what I learned from this goal-oriented this goal -oriented rehearsal. I'll take this in every rehearsal from now on. Well, I think that actually gets into kind of a very basic and important philosophical thing about approaching uh, a, 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 a rehearsal process, which is that ultimately, yes, the goal is to do the play without question. If you are just out there doing stuff to doing to do stuff and never applying it to the play eventually, then it's a masturbatory event, mm -hmm. and, and that's just what it is. But the goal of rehearsal, and at least the early and middle stages of rehearsal, ought to be to explore the play mm -hmm. and uncover the play and find the pieces that you are eventually going to build your performance out of. I think a lot of people have the idea and the approach that on the first day of rehearsal they're going to do the best possible production of the play they could with only one day of rehearsal. <laughs> and on the second day they're going to do the best possible production. A big part of it is that it's okay to fail in rehearsal. That's, that's where you find the really interesting and daring and unexpected things is when you give yourself permission to try something and fail. And part of the, the great thing about goal-oriented uh, uh, rehearsing and hypothesis-oriented, as I sometimes think of it, depending on what it is, is there is no such thing as an unsuccessful rehearsal. Because even if the thing you learn from it is, this thing I was exploring is not useful to me in this scene, mm -hmm. that is still 
a useful mm-hmm. thing to learn because then you're not going to expend your energy on it any mm-hmm. further. Mm-hmm. And again, that idea of if you are trying to rehearse seven things at once at any given time, you're never going to be able to pinpoint which one of those things is getting in your way. Mm-hmm. If it's not landing, you don't know which thing is the problem. But if you give over a rehearsal to working on the heat and you discover, you know what, the heat is doing nothing for me here, then you can stop working on it. Mm-hmm. Right. right. We, I mean, we've gotten into this a lot. You know, I, you attempt to work as specifically as possible in, in, in order to uh, make this work as, as, as live and as, as, as visceral as it can be. And I've, I've often heard people say, you know, that they, they were in a, a production where the, the, play was, the play was over-rehearsed. And I'm not sure if that's actually possible to do. Um, I think it's possible to go into rehearsal. I think the only kind of rehearsal you can have that does fail is where you aren't setting goals, where you're just sort of coming in every day and approximating the play. And uh, you know, I, I think in that case, your play is not over-rehearsed. You've just under-rehearsed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, that's absolutely true, Tim. <laughs> um, but it actually reminds me of something that... Uh, that actually one of our favorite teachers used to say, and I, I think it is, is Gene Lasko, uh, who if anyone has a chance to study with Gene Lasko, do it, because he's pretty amazing. But he always talked about rehearsal being about finding out what happens to you. And I think that that's a big part of, I think that's a big part of um, what you're talking about, Tim, and I think what, what everyone is, is that this is, you, setting goals really is about finding out what happens to you finding out more to the point what this specific thing about a scene does to you, what that specific thing about a scene does to you, and then being able to figure out how to piece it together. But it's actually something that I think can be incredibly helpful and incredibly useful to people who tend to over-intellectualize, which I think is a lot of people, and actually mm-hmm. I, I think can be me, and I, I think can that. be uh, a lot, because what it does is it puts the intellectualization in the right place that you can step back and you can intellectually say, these are the 45 different things that are in play in this play. These are the 45 issues that this character deals with. I can look at them. I can see them. I can tease them out of the text. These are the things that I need to figure out. That is an intellectual act and an important one. But then it gives you permission. Once you say, all right, and you know what, you can even intellectually... You can uh, you can uh, uh, prioritize. Make them. a list. You make a list, and you say these are the order in which I'm going to investigate them because this is the most to least important to me to connecting to it. But then it gives you permission to say, "All right, right now I am working on this particular piece of my history with this particular actor, and what I am going to do is throughout the entire scene I am going to have that piece of history in my head and see." in every line, try to use it to get what I want from the other person. Mm -hmm. Um, But it gives you total permission just to do that. You've done your intellectual thing, and then it allows the rehearsal and the actual time you spend with the other actor to be um, much more organic and again about finding out what happens to you when you explore that. And then you can re-intellectualize again once it's over, once you learned what that thing does for you, and again, write it down. And then you can step back and say, all right, where do I want to use each of these things 
throughout the scene. And then you can piece together a scene. But it's not, again, piecing together a scene based on what you think is going to inspire you. Because mm. that is never, ever, ever going to be the thing that really will inspire you. It just isn't. Well, the, the term you used was over-intellectualized, and, and I, I think that's a... a uh, that touches on something that that's important to me, which is I, I think you have to be pretty smart to be a good actor. But when when you talk about you know intellectualizing something, plays stories are n- not so much about people who understand them cir- understand their circumstances as much as it is about people experiencing and living through their circumstances. And so if you don't give yourself over to exploring those specific issues. I think you do wind up merely intellectualizing a play. You may understand it fully. You may understand what goes on. You may have a good sense of what that play is about. And that may make you a very good dramaturg on that play. That may make you a very good critic regarding that play. Um, but I, I, until I think you investigate uh, those circumstances of that play or those things that come up in rehearsal for you as fully as possible, that's as close as you're going to get. And I'm not sure if that warrants you being in that play yet. <laughs> I think it's also important when we're talking about the goal setting that I, you know, I do make lists of, of circumstances and things that I, 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 I want to work on and initially all sorts of things will jump out on you. And initially when, when I first start working, they're very, very simple things. It's usually very simple sensory things or you know things that are obviously in, directly in front of me, my relationship with a particular character or with a particular actor. But... Kit said earlier to go home and you know write these things down or write them down after rehearsal, and I think that's vitally important because as you're building, you want one rehearsal to build into another, and what you learn from the previous rehearsal, you know what you get out of a previous rehearsal may help you set what your goals are for the next rehearsal. Um, uh, I had a, a I, I was working on Fool for Love, and we did a rehearsal uh, in session at the Actors Studio recently. And we were doing the, the, the first five minutes of the play. And uh, the, the scene just wasn't real satisfying for either of us. And we've been working on it for a while. And we enjoy working, my, my uh, scene partner, Sarah, player, and I, we, we enjoy working with each other very much. We have a great amount of respect for each other. Both enjoy the play very much and are interested in it. And we had this rehearsal and session that just didn't seem to go anywhere. And we were talking about it afterwards. It wasn't satisfying to either of us. And we weren't real clear on what the problem was. Sarah kept talking about how we just, she had trouble connecting with me and, and I had trouble connecting with her. And, and uh, I wasn't able to articulate what it was, but there was a sense of something that was there. And I went back that night and I looked at the play and I was like, okay, well, there was a real disconnect between us. And looked at the circumstances of the play and these are two people who constantly collide into each other and hold on to each other for dear life. And then one of them, usually Eddie, my character, leaves her. And that fear of abandonment is is huge for her. So I came into the next rehearsal uh, with the actor objective that I was going to simply ignore her unless she absolutely warranted my attention. And so the goal I set for that rehearsal was to ignore her in the pursuit of, in the interest of finding out what would become important for enough for us to not ignore each other. Because um, I was trying to deal with that disconnect we experience as actors, and sometimes, you know, rather than uh, uh, my my goal actually became to 
give myself over to completely to what our problem was. Okay, fine. If we're disconnecting, I'm not going to try to connect with her because I don't really know what that means right now. Because I'm in the room with her. I'm talking with her. I'm looking her in the eye. I really don't know how to connect with her. I know how to ignore her. I'm just not going to deal with her. So let me find that because that's at least something visceral and simple. As an actor, I can execute and I can understand. So I did that. And what that did for her... Uh, and how that fed her and how surprised she was because we didn't discuss prior what I was going to do um, and then how surprised I was at her reaction to what I did brought that scene to life and we we found a huge connection through that so um, that rehearsal never would have occurred had we had a discussion about yeah we were disconnected and then just came in the next day and just sort of tried to do it again but just tried harder I think that actually is so interesting because it seems, again, your goal for that rehearsal was to solve this problem of the fact that we were disconnected. But the way that you dealt with it really was about investigating that problem. Yes. Rather than, which I think would be a lot of people's impulse, is let's figure out a way to pretend that that problem isn't there. Yes. <laughs> but but yeah. it really is. Yeah. Is okay, how can we act more connected? And I think that that idea of... If that had been what you had done, it wouldn't have solved it, and you would have been dealing with that problem for the rest of the rehearsal yeah. period. And by giving yourself fully over for 45 minutes, I don't know how long that run was that you, that, that you worked through it Paul for. Paul talked about an hour. All right. By giving yourself over for an hour, it solved this thing that would have dogged you forever because you gave it its time. You gave it its time to work itself to, to, to work it out, and I think that that again, that lack of half measure mm-hmm. is so important, and and it can again can feel like I'm spending too much time on this one thing, but it prevents you from wasting time on that thing. Yes, forever. Well, and and how that will inform on future rehearsals because that we had that experience together as actors, where she was genuinely hurt as the other actor that. I was not paying attention to her. And that, you know, for not to get too deep into what our rehearsal was, but there was times when she was particularly emotionally demonstrative where I just found it funny, went back to what I was doing, which hurt her terribly and actually informed on our relationship pretty pretty wonderfully, I think, as you know, we get back to the text and are having more rehearsals. So you carry with you those experiences into your next rehearsals. One of my favorite moments ever uh, in a rehearsal was when... Uh, Kit and I worked on Macbeth, and we were doing uh, the scene near the end of the play. And, and uh, I don't remember the the, the act or the, the the scene number, but it was the uh, uh, a scene where the the doctor is informing Macbeth that Lady Macbeth is ailing, is near de- death's door. Uh, and uh, I was playing Macbeth, and a, a young actor named Darren was was playing the doctor, and we were doing the scene, but. It, we're just sort of doing the scene. It didn't seem to be about much. There didn't seem to be much at stake about it. Uh, I sort of had going on the preparations for war, but uh, there didn't seem to be much more going on with that. And um, Kit came up to me and said, this is your wife. She's sick. It's his fault. He needs to make her better. And (laughs) so we did the next rehearsal, uh, and in the midst of him telling me, you know, he just didn't have much in, invested in in telling me how 
uh, sick uh, Lady Macbeth was. And to be honest, as the other actor, I didn't have much invested in what he was telling me. It seemed fairly glib. And so I just turned to him and looked at him and, and left the text. And I believe I said, are you saying it's her fault? And he sort of looked at me, and I'm, I, I, I'm much bigger than Darren, and I had a gun in my hand. And uh, he sort of was taken aback, and he was like, what? And I basically attacked Darren and terrified him. I, I had him on the ground with a gun and was making him promise that he would get my wife better. And after he promised to get my wife better, I kept asking him, how? How are you going to do it? Until he finally said, I don't know, in complete surrender. Uh, we stopped the rehearsal at that point, and we... we uh, uh, went on with rehearsal and what was fascinating after that was I was able to use that because every scene sort of can fall into a certain rhythm and a certain cadence and things happen in a certain order and that can sort of get by rote for an actor and what was funny after that was any time I broke from that rhythm at all if I looked at Darren at a time that he wasn't absolutely prepared for, if I looked at him in a way that he absolutely wasn't prepared for, if I made a move toward him or away from him, Darren was reading me very, very closely from that moment on because anything that I did that seemed to read slightly funny to him, I know he was somewhat worried that I was going to come after him again. And that fed that scene for the rest of the time. But you didn't actually hurt him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not actually hurt Darren. I, I certainly hope I did not give that impression. Just, just to be clear, you're not terrifying your scene partner to giving a better performance. I, I, I did. Violence. <laughs> it, I did terrify him. I believe I, I did not physically harm him. That's wrong. Nor did Kit imply that you should. No, no. But that that was a time when Kit set a goal for you as an actor. Yes. Uh, so sometimes as an actor you set a goal for yourself um, and sometimes you know in the rehearsal process that, that when there's a director they can help you set goals. How does that work like when there are other people involved and, and also like how much of your goal setting do you share with other people and when? That's a great question. I, you know, ultimately what you are is you're a collaborator. And as an actor, what that means is you have, in my opinion, it is incumbent on you to bring things to the rehearsal process. You have to have a perspective on the play. You have to have a perspective on your character. You have to have things that you're interested in trying and working on. Uh, you're not a talking prop. You're not there to be told where to move and how to act. So there, there's things I, there's goals I set for myself as an actor that I think it's my responsibility to, um, uh, to in, in order to... to uh, explore a play. But you also have to have the confidence as a collaborator to take in suggestions from other people, particularly your director, and to explore those to their their fullest. If, if Kit or whoever is directing me offers up a suggestion for something I, I need to try in rehearsal, I should give myself over to that. And if, if you're in a situation where you are uh, collaborators and everyone feels comfortable working with each other and that everyone's bringing something to the table for the good of the play, uh, you can have really great, honest, constructive discussions afterwards about how to set goals, how each rehearsal went in furthering you towards your goal of, of doing this play done with your shared perspective, and what you need to set up for the next rehearsal. I, I think as long as you have that open, healthy dialogue, you're absolutely clear, and, and you give each other the time. If, if I say, listen, 
you know, I want to explore this aspect of the play right now. I expect the director to give me um, the, the the time in rehearsal to do that. I have to ask at the appropriate. I have to communicate that at the appropriate time. One of the things I don't, I don't think we've discussed yet that, but that possibly we should, is how you choose a goal depending on where you are uh, in a particular process of doing a play, um, uh, uh, which is why I think it's important to set you know your goals early in rehearsal. But also, if, if he suggests a goal for me that I, I follow that to its fullest, then we can have an honest conversation about whether either of us learned anything about that, whether either of us found that rehearsal and that particular goal useful, and have an honest, constructive dialogue about it. There's times where... Because what's funny is a lot of times I, as the actor, feel that I didn't find something or that I didn't... Uh, uh, you know, let, let me take that back. Usually you find something, but what's funny for an actor is sometimes you feel like you didn't find the thing you thought you were going to find. <laughs> and so you confuse your own dissatisfaction, I think, with a, an unsatisfactory rehearsal. I've had that. I've left rehearsals where I've pursued particular goals and other actors were given particular goals and at the end of the scene I wound up very very unhappy and had a difficult time uh, until later when I would look at it understanding whether it was the character who was unhappy or was the actor that was unhappy I think it's, it's interesting again the, the use of the term goal um, and, and what we mean by it I tend to think of the goal as belonging to the actor and I know as a director walking into rehearsal I have goals for the day. And when I'm a writer and I'm in rehearsal, I have goals for the day. I mean, I certainly will walk in as a writer and say, there is this section that I am unsure about and I really want to pay special attention to how the rest of the play is feeding that moment. You know, that everyone has their goals. And I think that part of the joy of the collaborative art of theater is bringing everyone's goals together. You know, and, and I think that that idea that if you are a facile actor and you know what I am working on this today is my relationship with character A, for instance, or my previous circumstances or the physical area, that the director can give you something and you can take that and incorporate what you're working with into what they're working, giving you to work with. And actually what you learn is about the way that those two things interact. Um, that actually, more often than not, I think the real discoveries you find is how two things that seem to be unrelated are in fact related. In fact, I think that's a huge part of actually what the value of setting goals for yourself and setting specific goals for runs and following it through is that you're able to find things that are seemingly unrelated in the task or whatever it is that you've given yourself and the text that are in fact related in a surprising way. And I think that you can similarly find the way that the thing that you are giving yourself to work on and the thing that the director is giving you to work on are related or play off of each other in an interesting way. It might bring up um, additional questions and, and stuff that, that leads to different and, and more goals that you want to pursue in the next rehearsal that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Yeah. Is there ever a time when you s stop setting goals? Like, there's never a time where you stop setting goals for me. Even in, in performance, in a run, I have I have specific goals that may evolve. Uh, it's just you have to be cognizant of where you are in a rehearsal process for how you set your goals. Like a tech rehearsal. Or like yes, yes. And there's there's times I've walked in again. I'll have an actor goal and I'll have a character goal, and the director will. Uh, 
we'll be working on something in particular and it becomes clear, okay, we're, we're working on a different aspect of the play today than I had planned to work on. And I need to adjust and say, okay, I'm, I, can I still work on any of the things that I brought in in addition to this? What do I need to set down in order to work on what, what everybody else needs me to work on today? Um, uh, it's, it's why it's important to have those goals initially because if I need to take a lot of time exploring, say, the space or a previous circumstance, you know, or, or some real backstory stuff, I may not get to it, you know, may not have an opportunity to do it later in the, re- in the rehearsal process, and it may be inappropriate to. Um, in the rehearsal process. Uh, so could you do it before? Well, this is the other thing. is there, There's also, it's as an actor, it's important to know in terms of, of setting goals for yourself what you can work on with the other actors and with the other collaborators in the room and what you can work on at home. I, I think when I have other people that I'm working with in the room, I, I feel like you should use them. You know, you should, you should work with them. And if there's things... And you only have a finite amount of time, usually, when you're working on something. And I think it's important to identify yourself. You know what? These are goals that I really would like to accomplish. I can actually accomplish them on my own. And I don't need the other actors and or the director to accomplish these. So let me work on these in my homework so that when I come in, I'll still have these things built in. And then I can layer in whatever work I, I need to work on with this, with this actor. It's probably going to be a really poor time you know, at home to decide to work on my relationship with another actor. They're not going to be there. <laughs> that should get done in rehearsal. But perhaps there's other sensory things, other sensory aspects or backstory things that I don't need the other actors, and that's an appropriate time to do that outside of rehearsal. And I think something that actually I'm, I'm not, I don't think we've said yet, but I actually think is an important element of the whole goal-setting uh, scenario is that a lot of what it does is it allows you to clarify the things that you are learning and taking away in rehearsal, mm-hmm. which is one, on a, we have talked about this, that you know what you're working on, what did you discover about that? Mm-hmm. And you know it was caused by this thing that you were working on. But also, you absolutely discover things about other things in the scene while you're focusing on one thing. And a lot of it, actually, a lot of what, you know, there are great exercises to do and things like that, which we should do a, an episode about different exercises you can do to this end. But a lot of what an actor needs to do to really explore a piece is to get out of their own way. And a lot of times, by really focusing on one specific thing in a run, there will be things that will just present themselves um, about other elements of the scene that when, again, you're not over-processing, when you're not trying to work on them, the thing that you connect to about a given moment or a given relationship or a given thing in the space just shows up there because you're not in your way. And it's just, again, the thing deep in you that connects to that thing just does it because you're not consciously trying to. But because you're focusing on something else, those things stand out in stark relief. Mm-hmm. that it's clear to you what has happened in those things. So that idea of setting a goal, really what it is, is it's just it's a way of working that allows you to make the most efficient use of rehearsal as possible. It sounds like it's something much bigger and trickier than that, but it really isn't. And I think that that idea of being you know, a facile and good collaborator as, as an actor is this idea that early in rehearsal, when you are setting setting your goals, that 
they can be much broader and much more exploratory when you're just getting up and trying the scenes. And you should use that time to look at the big questions. But there are times when you know it's going to be a blocking rehearsal. Mm. That, for instance, I know when I act and it's a blocking rehearsal, I always make an effort to wear something that's as close as possible to what the character is going to be wearing because I know I'm not... Go, that isn't a great time, like Tim said, to be working on my character history with another character. But it is a fine time when, a actor, when the director's going to say, can you walk over there and sit in that chair and then go over and work with another actor on where they're going to go next. That's a fine time for me to work on how I sit mm-hmm. and how I move and what I'm wearing and what this chair I'm sitting in, if it's my apartment, where I can spend some time doing some work on where I got this chair. What I've done in this chair, is this my favorite chair, is this someone else's chair they're making me sit in? You know, you can actually devote that rehearsal to, I know what the director's going to need me to do, is know where I need to sit, and I need to do that by the end of rehearsal, but I can also have my own private work that I'm doing, and making extra use of that time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's funny you bring up uh, a blocking rehearsal. Uh, I know for me, as an actor, and again, this is why I think it's important to set actor goals and character goals because the you know in a blocking rehearsal it's a very technical rehearsal um uh, you know you bring, bring up a great example of some of the character stuff you can work on i know for me i tend to use blocking rehearsals for technical things that will help me as an actor where i tend to do a lot of exploratory work um early in a play there can be a lot of air left in the play um can be a little little soggy, which is probably appropriate for early work in a play. But as you continue to work towards a performance, you kind of want to tighten that up and, and, and have the play moving so any pause you do have in it is earned. So a, a favorite thing that I'll do, uh, a goal that I'll set for myself in, in, a, in a blocking rehearsal, is um, I will make sure that I am on top of everybody's line with my next line. I can take a pause anywhere else I want within my own line but I need to be on everyone's line and what that does for me in terms of just finding out the real rhythm of the scene the real rhythm of a beat because usually when you're doing a blocking rehearsal you're backing up and you're going over moments over and over again and finding moments where being right on top of someone uh, really keeps the play moving and, and really is is uh, uh, Keeps keeps the entire operation lean versus where I, moments that stand out to me again, as you said, in stark relief. Or boy, you know what? I keep jumping on that line in this rehearsal, and I'm finding out I really need to take a moment to, to take that in, and I feel like I've earned that pause. It's is a good way for like your technical work um, in what should be quote unquote just a blocking rehearsal is a way that can help inform on on, on your work once you get back to. And I'm using air quotes again, really working. <laughs> um, well, it, and also, I, I think what you were talking about, one of the things you talked about earlier, Tim, is the idea of setting actor goals. Mm-hmm. And I think actually one of the important actor goals to set early on in the rehearsal process is to try to get a read on your director mm-hmm. and what they value and whether they would be interested in what your goals are and how they work. Because ultimately, I mean, I certainly am a big believer in the fact that rehearsal time is everyone's time. But ultimately, the director is really the one who's going to set the tempo of the rehearsal process for the most part. And, you know, to kind of figure out how they like to work, what's important to them. Um, I, for one, really like to know 
what goals an actor is working with because the way I like to work with an actor I can throw monkey wrenches into the into what because that's what I like to do is I like to we're going to run I pull somebody aside throw a complication in and set them free to see what that does to the scene at least early on if I know what they're interested in working on that day I can throw in monkey wrenches that are about that I'm happy to um, and it will make the rehearsal more productive for us. I actually know there's an actor who we all know, uh, Chris Burke, who we've probably talked about before, who does this goal setting like no one I've ever seen, that he he really will so purely, for the first two weeks of rehearsal, give each day over to something new. And the first few times I directed him where I didn't realize that's what he was doing, he would terrify me for the first <laughs> two weeks. But then what he would do is he would show up on week two and one day with this spectacularly honed performance because he decided, all right, I'd learned what I need to know about this and 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 now I will use those things I learned. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, it, it, it was pretty astonishing and especially the um, discipline that he had about really doing that. But once I knew that, I was like, Chris, this is great, but you need to tell me at the beginning of the day what you're working on, if only so I can know what I'm looking at. Well, and especially <laughs> for an actor who's not so disciplined, maybe, to hold them accountable to that goal in a way, in terms of remember what you're working on or remember whatever. Because if it they is, want to be held yeah, accountable. Because it, it is sometimes hard to, to stick with something. That, that's so funny. I, I agree with you. Um, uh, about communicating with with the director when you, what your goal is. What's funny is I will usually withhold in discussion with with, with the director. I'll usually withhold at least one goal at, at the beginning of rehearsal. That prize goal. Well, <laughs> well because then what because what, what I'll then often do is go to them afterwards and be like, I was working on this. Did you see it? Mm -hmm. Because I, in a way, I don't want to tip my hand. I want to see if it's just readily apparent, if that thing I was working on is readily apparent. But I also will say, though, that, that that's me. I like mm -hmm. to know that. There are directors who don't. And I think part of it is, again, to set early on, to get a read on your director, to know what they're interested in. Yeah. If, if they're not interested in the goals you're setting, it doesn't mean you don't have the right to your goals, but it also, frankly, doesn't mean that you have the right to enforce your goals on them. Right. You know, <laughs> right? Right. You know, you got to let them work the way that they want to work too, and to, you know, to figure out how to how to do that. Absolutely. Um, and I know for for myself, I mean, sort of in my own working history, uh, one of the most uh, useful examples of when I have used goals to explore something. Um, and a very specific goal, and it actually also ties into knowing how a director works. That uh, I actually think I've talked about this once before, but it's a, a, a play uh, that I, I was doing where my character shows up to a bachelor party, and he finds his girlfriend is a dancer at the party, and does did not know uh, that that's what she did to work her way through grad school. Um, and it basically the whole play is the confrontation between these two about what this means. Um, and there is a moment towards the end of the play where he pulls out what's described as a wad of bills and offers them to her. It's a small moment in the play. It's a relatively important moment in the play, but it, it you know, it's a three-line exchange about this money in the course of a half-hour-long one-act. But to me, that felt really important to figure out. And so I actually gave over a rehearsal one day to figuring out what the deal was with the money. But I knew also that the way that the director that I was working with liked to work is that she always had, for the first few runs, 
uh, very specific things that she wanted to try, that she thought about the night before and wanted to see what happened, and then would towards the end kind of give more sort of playtime, as it were, to you know to you know now take the things you've learned from those runs and you know and run with it. Um, and so what I did for the first few runs was I knew the goal I was setting for myself with a rehearsal was about discovering what that money was about. Um, and so the first few, when I knew she was going to have something to give, I just knew when I got to that moment, because again, it was just described as a lot of bills, the first time I was going to let it be $150. The second time I was going to let it be $1,500. The third time I was going to let it be $10,000 and do whatever the director wanted. But because I knew that's how she was going to work, but my goal for the day was to figure out the money. The first three runs, that's what I did. And it was amazing sort of making that choice of offering out $150 versus $1,500 versus $10,000. By giving each of those their due, I arrived on $1,500. That just felt like that, like $10,000 was absurd and became a different play. $150 wasn't important enough. But then when it became much more uh, more of a free reign playtime I started exploring why did I have this wad of money in my pocket again it was a small moment in the in the in the play but it was something that I decided was worth setting a goal aside for and the first time through I imagine I was doing it for what it would seem to be which was to pay for strippers at a bachelor party and what I discovered from that was it didn't really give any great huge fuel to things, but I did find a lot of things about sort of my shame at being there that became useful eventually. Um, that I learned about, again, my shame of being at this place at all tonight and her catching me here, even though I caught her here too. So I learned a lot from that, even though it didn't become sort of a big uh, hook-in. Even though I didn't discover what I was looking to discover from that goal. I discovered other things that were useful. The next time through I imagine I was I brought the money uh, because I need because my brother needed it because he was in trouble and I was bringing him the money. Now that I found was interesting. Again, didn't solve any essential problems for me, but it also really did highlight and I learned an awful lot about the fact that that was my family that was out there since this was a family wedding. And that that was my family. It, it really brought that those elements of the play into very stark relief. That again was very useful. And then the last run we did, I imagined actually that I had come with this wad of money because it was a down payment on a ring that I was going to bring to my cousin who had connections in the jewelry business. And the whole point was that this wedding that this is a bachelor party for was... Uh, the place where I was going to propose to her before and introduce her to my family um, at at this wedding. Uh, and that, when I gave it over to that, that, it was like a, a, a one-armed bandit, just ching, 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 one thing after another just fell into place. It's not what the play is about. But making that choice clarified and held together so much about that play for me um, and became the basis of the entire performance. But again, what that was about was really giving myself over to that three-line exchange 
that moment that felt important to me. It felt like I didn't really understand exactly what was going on in that moment, but it felt important. And by giving my rehearsal over to exploring that one specific element, it clarified for me so much about my feeling about being in that place at all, about my relationship to all of the other people involved in the play, and then ultimately brought me to the thing that created the key to my relationship with this character uh, who I did the entire scene with. And again, if I had sat home, I could have intellectually gone over that until the cows came home, and I never, ever would have found that. And the result was, I think, a performance that I was quite proud of, but I also think one that was full of very surprising moments where things were about things that you would never have expected them to be. Um, and, you know, I, I, to me, that's so much of what the hallmark of a really compelling stage performance is about. And all of that, I think, can be best uncovered when you're willing to give yourself over to fully exploring one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. And what you'll be surprised at is the number of things that that presents to you. Yeah. So I think on that note, uh, we will wrap up. Uh, thank you, Tim and uh, Jenny and Jen. Uh, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, please go to iTunes and do so. If uh, you like the podcast and want to tell people about it, uh, tell them about it. But also go to iTunes and write us a review and uh, give us stars. And uh, if you want to learn more about the company, go to www.cryhavocompany.org. And we will be back uh, soon with more discussions with other members of the company and these members of the company about different issues having to do with writing and directing and acting for the stage. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavocompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavocompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.